Police One Academy is leading the way in high-quality, affordable training for officers nationwide. Your department can take advantage of more than 1,000 HD videos and 175 full-length courses in a robust learning management system. Training is certified or accepted for training credit in 35 states. Join the industry's most officer-friendly learning platform with more than 60,000 subscribers. To schedule a free demo, go to policeoneacademy.com forward slash policing matters. Hello, and thank you for clicking, and thank you for listening to Policing Matters, the Police One podcast. I'm Doug Wiley. Hey, this is Jim Dudley. Jim, this is one of those podcast episodes that I'm hopeful draws more than just our core audience of law enforcement. Um, as you and I have noted in the past, we have seen from feedback and email and all of that that there are some civilians, some citizens who are just really interested in law enforcement, really interested in the law, mm-hmm. uh, who come to this podcast. This is one that I hope um, we get both audiences. Some time ago, uh, I wrote an article called Five Supreme Court Cases That the Police and the Public Should Know. Um, I'll quickly tick them off so that, uh, you know, kind of give us some context. I addressed use of force and search and seizure. Um, and in doing so, I, I went through Graham v. Connor, Tennessee v. Garner, and then for search and seizure, of course, I started with Terry v. Ohio, and then uh, did Weeks v. U.S., which established the exclusionary rule. And Carroll versus the United States, which is a prohibition era case about uh, the search, warrantless search of a vehicle. Um, these are these are important cases that I contend most cops know, um, or at least can articulate, particularly with Graham v. Connor, um, why and when they are um, they're permitted to use force of any kind, deadly mm-hmm. force included. Um, and even in the case of uh, uh, Graham v. Connor. You know, the fleeing felon rule, you know, if you have just witnessed a criminal act, a violent criminal act, and you see the person, the offender fleeing, and you have reason to believe that that person may commit um, additional violence that may cause great bodily harm or death, that you are legally justified under the Constitution, maybe not under police uh, department policy, but under the court and the court's rulings, justified in using deadly force. But you have citizens, I think, who witness things like a use of force video and don't understand that Graham v. Connor is applicable here. And you have people who are stopped on the street and don't understand that Terry v. Ohio permits an officer who is is interested in having a discussion with a subject, but wants to make sure that that subject is not armed and does not present a danger, that they are legally allowed to pat you down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it would be wise for us as law enforcement educators and trainers to help the public understand these cases and what the what the law enforcement officers are allowed to do under these decisions. What, what say you? Sure. So if, first, of, first off, to clarify in Tennessee, uh, v. Garner, um, the use of force, of deadly force to stop a fleeing felon is rarely used and for good reason. And uh, the officer really needs to um, articulate the reasoning um, behind the force. When you go to Graham versus Connor, it's we talk about the objective reasonableness of the officer on the scene. And again, the the burden is on, on being able to articulate what they saw, what they feared, uh, what they thought would happen, any sort of weapon, whether seen or perceived, uh, and the actions by the individual, that all those things needed to be articulated uh, to 
substantiate the force being used. In California, 835A of the Penal Code goes even further to say that uh, once, once an officer uh, deems uh, force necessary to an effect an arrest or prevent an escape, that um, they would not fall under sanction for um, failure to retreat. They would not be deemed an aggressor and that they would be able to use force necessary to affect that arrest or stop the escape. And I think that's really important because right now we're talking in America, we're talking about uh, things like a tactical retreat. And I think we've touch, touched upon it in other uh, podcasts where you have people, uh, critics of police use of force saying, hey, why don't you slow everything down, back off, get away. And that's with the assumption that you're talking to a rational individual who at some point has already committed a crime, mm -hmm. is attempting to flee mm -hmm. or is attempting to overcome you with resistance, with physical resistance. So, uh, and then the, the ability to be able to retreat or back off or take cover, uh, again, is dependent on the individual. And if they're moving, uh, you're forced to resort to some sort of a bubble defense where you're moving uh, in conjunction with the individual who's resisting or attempting to flee. And it's really difficult. It's, it's, uh, it's a product of people sitting at tables discussing of how officers should react in these dynamic, volatile situations. And sometimes there, there is no uh, ability to do a tactical retreat when it's happening right now, right in front of mm -hmm. you, and, and you're hand-to-hand mm -hmm. -hand with the individual. Yeah, I'm going to get back real quickly to, um, to Tennessee uh, v. Garner. I'll give you one great example of an instance in which a law enforcement officer was completely justified in shooting a fleeing felon. I believe in the back. Um, this is Officer Ben Kelly of the Seattle Police Department. You may recall that Maurice Clemens was on the run after the Forza coffee shop massacre. He killed four cops in that coffee shop. Mm -hmm. Ben Kelly um, came upon a, a vehicle which appeared to be, at the time, disabled. The hood was up. It was actually Maurice, Maurice Clemens laying an uh, ambush attack to try and kill yet one more cop. Kelly wasn't having any of it. He recognized the guy approaching him. Told him to stop. Gave him opportunity to stop. Then shot him in once in the in the in the front of his torso. And then the guy um, miraculously started taking off. And Kelly finished the finished the the, the job. Finished the finished him off. Um, totally justified. I think there are people in the country that wouldn't understand that that's a justified shooting sure. under Tennessee v. Uh, 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 Tennessee v. Uh, uh, Garner. I want to also talk about Graham v. Connor because this is the it's the biggest one. It's the absolute biggest court case for law enforcement, in my humble opinion, that people look at use of force video and they don't understand that it is the objectively reasonable officer. So you have to have someone with similar time on the job and training that the, what would that person do at the same at the time, not in 2020 hindsight, not in retrospect, right. but in, during a dynamic, rapidly unfolding, um, potentially deadly threat situation, what would I do? And if an objectively reasonable officer would do pretty much the same thing, then you're, you're justified in that use of force, whatever that use of force was. Sure. Everything from, you know, hands-on to baton to OC to taser to, you know, to, to a, a firearm. So it's, I think, incumbent upon us as educators to try to help the public better understand things like that. 
And again, to the point of uh, uh, stop and frisk, it drives me mad when people decry stop and frisk when it's really about everybody's safety, mm-hmm. you know, and it's and it's a completely justified tactic with Terry uh, v. Ohio. Sure. Now, of course, you can't employ this tactic willy nilly and, you know, just without without purpose, without cause. You have to have reason to believe that there's someone might be dangerous. Sure. And I think Terry versus Ohio lays that out, that there has to be. Um, articulation again of movements and uh, demeanor and w- clothing and how people are acting and all those things. Not a random stop and search, which apparently stop and frisk turned out to be in its in its latter stages. Uh, but that said, you go back to Officer McFadden in Cleveland, Ohio, right. who sees three individuals um, on a corner in an alley. Uh, clearly casing a jewelry store, uh, going back, looking in the window, coming back, shifting around, uh, making movements, checking something at their waistband. Of course, he stops, detains, searches them, finds, I believe, two handguns. And, uh, of course, at trial, um, the suspects, the offenders, the defendants are uh, raising in ire their, their defense and their uh, violation of their Fourth Amendment rights to search and seizure, but um, the search is uh, upheld, and it's um, it's one of our best laws that we have. And and I think sometimes law enforcement officers were our own worst enemies when we say things like "I had a gut feeling" mm. or uh, "something made me want to go up and search this guy." When when if you really stop and think, when you're writing your report. You, you can hearken back to it's freezing cold outside and this guy's sweating or mm-hmm. it's super hot outside and he's got a big coat on and he's leaning to one side and he's feeling in his pocket and he's, his head's on a swivel and he keeps looking at the handbag or the what have you, whatever, whatever it is, um, you've got to be able to put that on paper. Yeah, I'm... I'm- Always thinking of things that J.D. Buck Savage says in his videos. And one, of course, is saw drunk, arrested same. That's not sufficient anymore. Right. You have to have clearly articulated language of, you know, I saw the guy. He was leaning, like you said, favoring one side. His arm wouldn't come in contact with his right side as he was walking. Um, I felt like maybe there might be a weapon on him because of that. Mm-hmm. I just, due to my training and experience, I've seen that that's been an indication in the past of someone carrying a gun. That you have to be able to articulate that. Yes, mm-hmm. of course. But I think also... When people are looking at the news, um, and you know, and they're they're making these snap judgments about whether it's a use of force or whether it's a, a search and seizure, you know, people say at traffic stops you can't search my car. Well, no, according to Weeks, you can, um, if you have probable cause to believe that there's something um, awry, amiss, or illegal, what have you. Um, the citizen can't reply, uh, can't deny a warrantless search of their vehicle. Um, people are just misinformed about that, and it's, you know, one of those things where I, I look at my role at Police One is not an educator only of law enforcement officers, although that's my primary task, but also as an educator of the world. Mm. You know, and I'm trying to help the world understand what this stuff is all about. And hopefully we can change this weird um, misunderstanding. And then people are being educated by television. And television is just a bad teacher. Sure. You know, well, I think we're going to probably revisit this one um, at some point down the line. We do have two articles that were recently on Police One. Again, I mentioned Um, The uh, five Supreme Court cases that um, police and the public should know. And of course, the sidebar, six more SCOTUS cases to know and tell. We'll be back again next week.